Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. It's Thursday, February 2nd, 2012, and this is a really fun show. It is on personal learning plans or profiles or any of a number of different ways of describing something that became very interesting to me a couple of months ago, and I reached out, and, and this is a, uh, a group effort to uh, teach us about personalized learning in these plans and to get some wisdom uh, from our four ladies, uh, Barbara Bray, Kathleen McClaskey, Shannon Miller, and Lisa Nielsen, welcome to all of you. Don't all speak at once. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. I'm really excited to be talking to everyone today. This is Lisa. Hi, this is Barbara. Thank you for inviting me also. I feel very honored to be part of this panel. And Kathleen, we know you're there because you've tested your mic. But I'm seeing a slowdown in, in her audio, so maybe she'll come back. Uh, yes, I'm still here. And uh, uh, can you? Oh, okay. So uh, maybe we are can't hearing hear you now. All right. So um, yeah, my screen went blank for a moment there. But I really appreciate being able to participate today on a subject that I think is really the key element in um, our transformation of education today. Oh, good. Kathleen, glad to have you here. And it looks like Shannon is here. And let me give Shannon privileges. And Shannon, if you're familiar with the environment, you can, yeah, yeah, I think you're on. I think I'm on. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here, and like everyone else said, um, I'm very passionate about this topic, so I look forward to the conversation tonight. Oh, I'm glad we do need that passion. So thank you each for turning your mics off when you're not talking. That'll help us with this group of four, and especially as we go into the Q&A. The Future of Education is sponsored by my Web 2.0 Labs project at web20labs.com and by Blackboard Collaborate. They provide this lovely room, and we're grateful for it. If you're going to either the Q or the ISTE shows, the EdTech shows uh, this spring and summer, please look at ISTE Unplugged or Q Unplugged. Uh, Q is actually in March. That's in Palm Springs. And the show organizers have really given us some latitude here. We're actually, we've always sort of struggled because we have, we've had an educational blogger meet up the day before the conference. And, um, and a lot of people, it's because it's in the middle of the week, a lot of people can't come. So now we are doing uh, EduBloggerCon all day Thursday, which is the first day of the conference. So those of you who are going to queue can pick and choose. You can come into EduBloggerCon sessions, or well, now it's called Social EdCon sessions, or you can go to regular sessions. Then Friday, we're doing uh, the live streaming. Anybody can sign up to present, which we're calling a Q Unplugged. Um, and then the Bloggers Cafe will be in that same area all three days of the conference. So this is really nice. We have our own big room. <laughs> really a lot of fun. If you like Q, you'll love this. Uh, ISTE, of course, the mothership. Uh, it's so much fun. This is our fifth anniversary uh, for both shows. Uh, we're going to have a birthday cake on Saturday. We are renaming EduBloggerCon to Social EdCon. All of the events around ISTE are free. So uh, please do come. Uh, and if you're making your plans to go to ISTE, do know that EduBloggerCon, now Social EdCon, is the Saturday before. So if you want to attend, you do need to make arrangements to be there um, a day or two early, depending on otherwise when you would come. But it is a blast. And, and we've typically had 100 to 250 people 
uh, and it's always really a lot of fun. And we will have birthday cake. If, uh, it's all, because it's this sort of fifth year, we're also celebrating the fifth year anniversary of Classroom 2.0. And I started two projects that are really a lot of fun. One is Ed Incubator, uh, helping uh, organizations get authentic teacher councils using the great audience at Classroom 2.0. PBS NewsHour is our first project. Uh, they're doing, um, they need help with some journalism projects. You can go to classroom20.com, click on Ed Incubator, and then click on PBS NewsHour. We're also doing a crowdsourced book program. So uh, we are hoping to have, uh, release a treasury of great practices around using the web and social media in the classroom. And we really want everybody to contribute. Every submission will get published online. We're going to put them all up. We're going to select some number of them to go in an actual physical book. But um, we do really encourage anybody who has a desire to write. Or if you've already written and you want to repurpose, we're glad to take that as well. Should be a lot of fun. We're really excited about it. Coming up on our worldwide conferences this year, we are going to do a Classroom 2.0 conference. It's not clear when we're going to do that, but we will do something. We'll have uh, a 12-hour gaming and education conference on April 26th, uh, which should be terrific. Uh, Alt-EdCon, the Alternative Education Conference, May 10th through the 12th, homeschooling, unschooling, virtual schooling. And we're going to explore it all in another sort of worldwide um, uh, I'm forgetting the word, but it is a worldwide free event, uh, highly inclusive. Uh, really, we really want people to present and feel comfortable that they have something to contribute. Our Future of Libraries conference in the second year, sponsored by San Jose State University, will be October 3rd to the 5th. And the Global Education Conference, November 12th to 16th. Coming up, oh, you know it's personal learning profiles tonight. Uh, next week on Tuesday, Lorette Lynn, the Unplugged Mom, comes to visit. Talk to us about homeschooling and unschooling. Alan Blankstein on improving individual schools. You've seen this list before if you haven't. Um, David Weinberger's kind of fun. Mimi Ito. They're all going to be fun. Kathy Davidson on her book coming up. Uh, new on this list tonight, John Hunter and Chris Farina, uh, the teacher and the movie producer, uh, talk about John's project, World Peace, and other fourth grade achievements are going to come on on April 18th. And then Julie Lindsay and Vicki Davis uh, on their new book on April 19th. If you've missed any of our sessions, they are all, they are all recorded in full Illuminate version and MP3. Uh, Cable Green was on last night talking about the obviousness of open policy. Wow, was that fun. Uh, in fact, uh, I've seen his presentation a couple of times now. He allowed us to let him do his presentation, but let me interrupt with questions. So if you've seen it, that presentation before and you, and you want a version that, where there's a little bit of pushback, uh, it is up and uh, online at this point at futureofeducation.com. David Lurcher talked about learning comments and personal learning environments. We're actually going to bring that up tonight. Lee Crockett on uh, 21st Century Fluencies. Again, lots, lots more all up available for you to pick and choose. So this is now your chance to indicate where you're participating from. To the left of the whiteboard are some icons. You're looking for the star, the second one down. Click on that and then click on the map. And feel free to shout out in the chat as well. I do know we have Kevin from Tokyo in the group. Looks like someone from New Zealand. Lots of North America. I'm in Park City, Utah this year, and we're thankfully getting some snow. <laughs> The ski resorts don't do well when there isn't snow. 
Australia, Japan, Vermont, Connecticut, what a lot of fun. As always, wherever you're participating from, we sure appreciate your being here. Really glad to have you. Okay, so I opened up a little bit of a can of worms with this topic. Um, the future of education show tends to be something of a personal indulgence. Karen Cater called it uh, a boutique interview series. Um, the reason it's an indulgence is I get to pursue topics that are of personal interest to me. And the topic that was of real interest to me was this question about how do you, how do we start thinking about individually tracking what we want to learn about and, and how we learn well um, uh, as we move into a learner-centered environment. And um, what I didn't realize was that this topic really can't be talked about without talking about personalized or individual learning. So we're going to start um, there. Uh, what I'm going to ask the panelists to each do is to uh, introduce, give a one-line introduction to yourself and then give a one-sentence description in your mind of what a um, personal learning plan or profile is and, and use the language that you like to use because we'll springboard from there. So let's start with Barbara. Barbara, if you would. Okay. Um, I. Hi, everyone. I um, am what you call a digital pioneer. Um, I've been, my motto was making learning personal 20 years ago, so I've always thought about uh, personalizing learning. Um, the idea of a personal, a student learning plan, it's different to me than uh, an IEP. It's based around the learner. It's how the learner learns best. And they design their own personal learning path. Um, and I, I think I'm going to stop there because I want to go into that later. Is good. That, okay, Steve? that was perfect. And you used a lot of good commas and kept it in one sentence. Kathleen. Well, personalized learning um, to me is where the learner, um, and Barbara and I, by the way, have had a lot of discussions and a lot of research around this. and. But what I see is that there's the ownership to learning, that we're really empowering the learner um, in understanding how they learn best, and then giving them um, an understanding about what their, maybe what their aspirations are, and helping them design their curriculum and their learning path um, as they go forward into school. So it's really about student empowerment. Thank you. Shannon? Sorry about that. I would say that I see students, um, just as Kathleen just said, being empowered. That's very important to me with my students. And at VIA Meter, our motto behind what we want our students to embrace their own education is to follow their passions and really develop their own voice as they learn to think, lead, and, and serve as individuals, not just now as students, but also as they become um, adults. Thank you. Lisa? Hi, my name is Lisa Nielsen. I'm the author of the Innovative Educator blog and um, the recently released book, Teaching Generation Text. 
And I call uh, what we're talking about personal success plans and what they mean to me are <clears throat> tools that empower students with the freedom to learn in a way that is customized to the individual rather than standardized to the system. So I'm going to embarrass myself here because it's so interesting as much as I agree with everything that's said, when I first thought of personal learning plans, I had a vision of um, younger students and an ability to track what they responded to and what their interests were that would get passed from adult to adult as the youth progressed through school. Clearly, I uh, was sort of missing the boat here, uh, that, uh, that this is really a springboard for thinking about education as a personalized. I'm going to ask some questions. And what I thought I would do is I'll ask the question to one of you specifically by name. Then if the second one of you would like to respond to that same question, please feel free to raise your hand. We'll probably stop there. If another one of you would like to say something, feel free to put something in the chat or indicate that you just are dying to make a comment. But I know we have a lot to get through, and I want to make sure that we um, give each of you a chance to talk. So um, there are a variety of terms being used. And I'm, I'm wondering, uh, Tuesday night, David Lurcher came on, and he talked about the learning commons and personal learning environments. And his personal learning environment included a portal, a PLN, or a personal learning network, and a portfolio. You know, Interestingly, after reading a lot of the material, to prepare for today. It feels like a couple of things are missing. But my question to you, Barbara, would be, how important are the words here? Um, are we talking about all the same things, or do we need to be really trying to land on a set of phrases that are common that communicate something very clearly? Well, um, that's pretty interesting. I, Kathleen and I worked on um, defining the difference difference between personalized learning and differentiated uh, instruction and individualization. Um, what we found is that they're getting confused. Um, so you, oh, you have that chart. <laughs> uh, what we found is that um, people are confusing these a lot. And so um, for individualization, it's more um, you're designing the instruction for that student, and you can work one-on-one. -on -one. Um, for differentiation, you're the teacher. You're designing the instruction to meet different groups of children uh, or students and learners. It depends on the, you know, what age. But personalization is driven by the learner. And um, and there and that's where they help design their curriculum and the goals. Um, I'm, can I just have Kathleen jump in on this one also, um, Steve? Absolutely. I, okay. Okay, I'm here. Um, there's I was saying there's a lot of confusion around these three terms and. Um, um, and there really is. And um, we've really looked at some really good examples both uh, around the world and um, actually in the United States around uh, personalized learning. And I noticed that there happened to be someone here from Vancouver, Canada, from British Columbia, who's really looking at personalized learning um, as a um, adopted by the entire province. And they're working right through a process. 
But um, just want to say that everyone, when you're trying to do something like that, you're really bringing in all the voices uh, from the community. Um, the students have an equal voice to teachers, to administrators, and parents are extremely important in this whole um, role of personalized learning. Um, and um, I don't know everything, but I have um, really have studied a lot of this now and uh, seen the real pattern about um, what that really includes. And uh, community is extremely important to really, um, really create a really uh, vibrant, personalized learning environment in schools. So I guess I want to still get a, an answer to the question, which uh, for me is, if the language is important, when we're talking about a personal learning plan or a personal learning profile or a success plan, what is there language that the two of you prefer? Um, I'd like to jump in. Um, I was just going to write. <laughs> uh, it's not a personal learning plan. It's more like um, a personal learning path. It's because it's a journey they're going on. And um, they, their goals change when they, and it's all based on how they learn best. So I don't know if that makes more sense, Steve. Let me just, um, instead of a plan, because you can't really design a plan because we don't know where the student's going to go. And like Lisa was saying about their passion, if they're driven by their passion and their interest, um, they're going on this journey. And and they're going along and finding uh, how you know the way they learn best, and then the teacher is the guide working with them. So they're more like a co-learner and co-designer of their learning. I don't know if that helps. It does. It helps me quite a bit. Now I'm interested to know if either Shannon or Lisa have a different take on this. Um, I don't know if I have a. This is Lisa, sorry. I don't know if I have a different take. Um, I, I agree with everything that's been said so far. Uh, I like to call it a personal success plan just because for me, plans can always be updated and, and changed. Um, and well, I guess I'm, I'm going in a different direction there. So I guess that what I want to say is I agree with everything they said. I do think language is important. I do think we want to uh, kind of standardize on what we end up calling these. But I, I like success more than the word learning just because it's not all about what we quote unquote think of as traditional learning, even though you can think learning is a part of everything. But there is learning in so many things and there are areas that might fit outside of the term learning that also equates to success as far as pursuing and um, exploring and developing our passions. And I'll turn it over to Shannon if she has anything to add to that or say differently. This is Shannon. Yeah, I really like what Lisa just said because I think that, um, like she said, like successes, kind of what I said when I said my first sentence, isn't just about um, everything maybe that we learn that is that is new and different. It's also you know, about leading them to um, their their path. And that's what Barbara and Kathleen, I love that you use the word path because I think that it is ever-changing and we need to, um, especially now, the way that the kids learn and the way that the teachers are learning and, and teaching, that it changes all the time. So it needs to be evolving. 
So Kathleen, I can imagine a personalized learning um, without a plan, a, an individual plan, although it's it's not easy. I can I can also imagine a personal uh, a personal learning plan or path without personalized learning. Um, how much do the two need to go together, um, and and when can they operate or or can they operate separately ever? That's a tall question, <laughs> and a really broad question. Um, well, uh, I'm thinking that um, personal learning. Um, here's here's my perspective: is that both the teacher and the learner um, really need um, the teacher needs to understand the individual learner uh, before any of this can really happen really well. Um, and I can give you an example, and I actually just made a little note down there about a teacher out in the UK just recently. Um, and because I, I, I'm not in the classroom to say that you know right or wrong, uh, this this teacher is doing, but I think he's really on a really good uh, journey now. Uh, that he decided that he was going to allow kids to have their own personal journey every week, uh, and this is an elementary classroom in the UK, and each kid set themselves some goals um, in which they had to reflect. Uh, every week, and if they achieve those goals, but they set those goals at the beginning of the week. And um, he, of course, also set some very specific goals, of course, because he has to live by some, you know, sort of standards. But uh, these children um, really had set those goals and worked on those their own personal goals every week. So that's just one example. Um, and of course, if you look at other uh, examples, uh, like in say um, in Finland, um, where really in the secondary level, kids are really working towards their aspirations, towards what they want to be. And they're really designing their own coursework and selecting uh, coursework that's really going to get them uh, to the post-secondary. But the motivation, so here's the real key, is that when this actually does happen, there's a greater motivation in the classroom. And um, I think all of that is a really good thing because I think this is one of the things that we don't talk about in education is the lack of motivation uh, at the high school level and um, in personal, you know, having personalized learning uh, in schools would be really probably the key um, in uh, really transforming uh, unmotivated children to maybe more motivated children. So I want to, a little bit later in the show, I want to talk about how change actually takes place and how how we would move, how how this concept might move us toward a larger narrative change about education. But before we do so, Barbara, um, are there certain practices that really work well with uh, personal uh, learning, um, both in the, the path plan and the environment? Uh, I looked through all the material today, and I didn't see any mention of advisories, but it really felt to me like the advisory period would play very well with this whole concept. And Barbara, your mic may be off or you didn't realize I directed that to you. I got it. I couldn't get it to work. All of a sudden it froze. Um, I think it depends. Uh, like I'm working right now with an elementary school. I've worked with some middle schools and in high school I see that the, the um, of course, students can work um, independently and collaborate on their own, you know, um, outside of school. And um, but, I, like I said, I'm working in an elementary school right now, and one of the things that we're looking at is 
how to redesign the classroom so it's more of a personal learning environment. And it's um, what I'm finding is the problem is um, not the environment, it's more the um, we're kind of caught in a system that we've had for hundreds of years. And teachers are taught, um, you know, how to teach a certain way. And then to come in and tell them to let go, change the environment, let students make their choice. And um, it it's like some of the teachers are kicking and screaming to go along. So I think it takes time and and any kind of change uh, some of the teachers I'm working with I we almost have to teach them how to let go and let the students have a voice so we're slowly starting to do that I want to give some other people a chance to talk but I just wanted to say that it doesn't happen right away in most places go ahead Shannon and Lisa I'm going to ask you a question so I think you can save your fire and I'll, I'll give you a chance I'll give you a chance we both want to talk, right, Lisa? So I, being in the school, um, I'm in Van Meter, Iowa, and we went through a big transformation the last three years. We um, put laptops into the hands of our kids 612, and our little ones in the elementary in K5 have technology, almost one device per student, iPads, iTouches, laptops. We have a computer lab. and. And these are just, this has just been a vehicle for really changing things and becoming a really innovative environment. And it's not just our older kids that we want to, you know, help these kids find their passions, but it's our little ones too. And, and like you just said, Barbara, it's like letting, you know, helping the teachers and teaching them to let go and teaching them that they need to step aside and let our kids be also the teachers. It was a difficult transition, but this is the third year. And it's really going great, and there's changes all the time, and there are bumps, and sometimes you know it, you have to really involve the community too, and educate everybody, and really be transparent about such a change, so everybody can be on the same page and let this take place, because it is a shift in the way that we've always done things. So again, at the risk of embarrassing myself, Lisa, when I thought about this, I was specifically thinking more about me as a parent and wanting to track my own children from year to year and to be able to present to a teacher kind of a, a, a better understanding of my child as a student. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm loving that I have gone through the growth process here, something that should have been obvious to me at the beginning that wasn't. But you often blog about sort of the difficulty of being in a school environment that doesn't change. Is there a degree to which this could be parent-driven? And does that make any sense in terms of thinking about it as a change process? Uh, I think parents are really the key to success and change. And we have um, someone who joined us today, Lizette Casey, who um, knows that I'm extremely involved with parents and unschooling and homeschooling and do-it-yourself education. Uh, yet I don't have my own children to do that with. And the reason I'm so involved with that, and some parents are a little confused as to why I would be doing that as an educator and not, and the fact that I'm not a parent, is because I think this is the key to uh, education reform, learning reform, and all of, you know, all of the things that we want to have success with really reside with the parents. And what I want to help um, empower parents to do is know that they have power because so often 
they have been bullied, bashed, and berated by the system and the politicians and all sorts of people telling them that if they advocate for things like personal success for their child, um, that the school will lose funding and they're hurting everyone by doing this. And it's really not the case. I mean, it is the case if one parent does it. But if parents stand up and demand that their children are treated as individuals, then there's not going to be anywhere um, for the system to turn. And I have worked hard at starting groups throughout the United States to help empower parents and um, Parents are absolutely the key to this, and parents absolutely should be demanding that their children are treated as individuals and that learning is customized to each child and not standardized to the system. So yes, I 100% think that the future of ed reform and transformation lies with our parents. So I want to give the chance for a rebuttal to that. Uh, I'm not assuming that Barbara or Kathleen would disagree with that, but Barbara and Kathleen, I'm, I'm curious to know, have you seen a good progression of understanding of personalized learning that you feel can get the kind of mass adoption that you would need for a larger uh, change in our culture of education? I'm jumping in, Kathleen. Um, I've worked with schools around the country, so, and I've worked with public and private. I've worked in places where parents are very um, involved with the school site council, with making, they're on the board, they're um, very active in, in moving things along. But I've also seen parents that say that it was good for me, then it's good for my kids. And they kind of keep the process from going. Um, I've worked in one district where they've stopped the whole process on personalized learning because they want to get their kids into Yale or Harvard or something. So I really, it's, I think it's about education. It's about starting um, when the, right in the beginning of the year and have everyone involved and have the whole school community there and talk about developing a shared vision of personalized learning so they understand what it means. I think there's a little bit of fear. So I'm going to stop, but I, I do see that it can be dangerous if we don't really explain what it means. Because sometimes we throw it at them, we have the students doing it. Uh, well, let me just say one more thing. One of the things that I found with the school that we're working with right now, uh, that I'm working with right now, is that the parents are very much involved, but they don't know what personalized learning is. And we just had a showcase, uh, and the students were explaining it. And the parents are getting more excited and motivated about this process and want to be more involved because they're seeing the difference in the way the students are taking uh, responsibility for their own learning. Kathleen, did you want to respond in any way? Sure, and um, I'd like to get back to, um, I haven't had the same experiences as, as Barbara, but um, I'm right now involved in a one-to-one -one iPad environment and uh, in a charter school where I'm on the board. and done a lot of training there and um, trying to get to a personalized learning. Uh, again, I always like to get back to the fact that it really takes the teacher to really understand who the learners are in their classroom to make all of that really work. And, um, and then, of course, informing the parents and getting the parents involved. Uh, I always like to refer back to uh, British Columbia is, is really a, a province we should look very closely at because they have a plan online. It's a multi-year plan to 
transform um, their educational system into a personalized learning system. And they've spent the last two years with the big thought leaders around personalized learning. But they have a wonderful interactive guide that really helps you understand personalized learning. They made that totally available. They've got input from both parents and teachers and, and students uh, have a very big voice in all of this, and administrators. Uh, but one of the things I also noticed, and I often share with Barbara, is that there's such leadership uh, in that province around personalized learning. There's major bloggers uh, who are superintendents and principals, and I've been communicating with some of them and watching their blogs as well. So um, that's a, a model that I think that if any state decides we want to move in that direction, uh, they could. I do want to say that uh, the in Wisconsin, CESA 1 is actually moving to a personalized learning environment. I think that is one of the largest scaled models uh, in the U.S. and they're currently in the midst of all of that. So um, we have to watch out, watch what happens um, in these uh, models, uh, personalized learning models that are trying to scale. Um, and um, it'll be an interesting thing to watch uh, over the next couple of years. Okay, so there's some good questions in the chat, and Larry's asked a couple of them uh, that, I, that I want us to get to uh, with regard to measuring and success. But before we get there, um, uh, uh, Kathleen, I, I think in something you sent me prior to the interview, you talked about um, uh, what is personalized learning and what isn't personalized learning. So uh, would you would you start us on a little bit of a conversation about um, maybe sort of the history of uh, personalized learning and IEPs? And, and when you say personalized learning, what do you mean and what do you not mean? Well, personalized learning is definitely not individual education plans. And by the way, that's the biggest fear by superintendents here in the United States. Uh, individual education plans are really based upon uh, a individual evaluation um, and educational evaluation along with several other types of evaluation for a very specific child and there are very specific goals and objectives for that individual child. So personalized learning is not an IEP for sure. Okay, so from anybody else, just raise your hand. Do you have a definition you'd want to give of individual, what individual learning is and what it is not? So Craig actually raised his hand in the, uh, in the chat room. Uh, Craig, I'm going to give you the mic and go ahead and grab it. Just click on the talk button at the top left. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're a little muscled, but go ahead. Uh, yes, I'm wondering how you can balance the extrinsic uh, motivation that is like curriculum against the internal motivation that is the value uh, of the of the learner, what they want to learn. Okay, so Craig is asking about uh, how you balance the intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And let's go there. Let's talk about uh, uh, specifically uh, who are these plans for and how should we be measuring their effectiveness? Would anybody like to grab that question? Go ahead, Lisa. Um, I think that when all is said and done, the plans are for the student, the actual person. And we measure, I, the, per, 
what I call personal success plan, it's not a theoretical um, term. There is really something that exists called personal success plans. It's something that I worked with um, Joe Renzulli and Sally Reese, who are the creators of the school-wide enrichment model. Um, and students with their families, with their advisory, with their teachers, really think deeply about what their passions, talents, interests, learning styles, and abilities are. And they come up with an actual plan that has measurable goals. And they, the students can see with their family, with their teachers. And I also think this is a fabulous tool for student evaluation and for teacher evaluation and for school evaluation. And the other important part, which you mentioned earlier, is this is not something that exists inside of a walled garden or isolated system. It's something that becomes a part of that student's academic and or career portfolio. It's something that's real and meaningful in the world. And it's something that the student their parents, the teacher, and the school can be really, really proud of, unlike a lot of what happens in school today. Um, Shannon, what's the role of the librarian in this process? Well, I think that my role at school has changed a lot, even in the last um, year. I've always been, you know, the technology, I would say, integrationist or specialist um, at my school. But now I'm becoming, we have a collaborative document that, the, you know, at the beginning of the year, we rolled it out. And the teachers, they have to um, connect with me and collaborate. And I'm kind of like their teaching partner or coach, if you would say, on a lot of things um, because I help them not just integrate, you know, the technology, but help them individualize instruction for the kids. Help them find maybe what the kids' interests are, um, tools that will help the kids get there, and, you know, help the teachers maybe understand some of the things that they, they quite don't, um, maybe aren't an expert in that I have the time and, and the resources and the connections to bring that to the um, kids. Barbara, did you want to respond? I just wanted to thank Shannon because I feel librarians are um, such a wonderful resource. And um, in California, we're losing a lot of our uh, librarians. They're cutting out the programs. And I, what I, I, you know, I follow Joyce Valenza, and now I know you. And I'm learning about what some uh, from David Loisher and a lot of other librarians around the country and the world. Um, it's such a valuable resource to help now, especially when so many resources are available online and we, we need you. <laughs> and especially if, if students are, um, learners are going to be um, designing their, uh, you know, their um, whatever you want to call it. It could be a student success plan, it could be a, a learning path, it could be whatever. They still need a guide on the side, and a lot of times the teachers need a guide, and I feel that's what the librarian is a coach and a guide for them. Go ahead, Shannon. Thank you, Barbara. That was very nice of you to say, and that's what I what I think. I mean, I think about the even just you know one part of what I do is you know getting the kids connected through social networks, and you know I might have a kid that comes to me that wants to start a Twitter because she's interested in photography and she wants to do this great project 
maybe on her um, genealogy for social studies. And I can work with her and, you know, develop that and, and get her connected through, you know, my network and bring so many tools to them. And that's what my, I mean, I teach all, you know, half of the day I teach elementary kids and I teach technology literacy to our sixth graders. But the other part is just being there for our kids, being, um, you know, a person that they can come to to really build their, um, you know, personal learning path or whatever we want to call it to make them more successful. And, and like I said, a big thing at our school, and all the kids know this, is to really follow what they're passionate about. Kathleen, how does this integrate with our existing uh, assessment systems uh, for uh, determining student success, and does it uh, improve, change, help, compete with uh, traditional assessment? And Kathleen, I'm not sure if you didn't turn your mic on, I didn't know I was addressing that to you, but if you're comfortable answering it, I was addressing it to you. Could you give me a repeat on that? Um, I needed to call my husband right away. so. Oh, uh, in, in fact, Lisa, I think you heard the question, so let's have a response from you, and then we'll we'll pass the baton over to uh, Kathleen. Okay, um, so it's um, slightly answering a little bit of a different question because um, it was going to be after Kathleen <laughs> spoke. But what I want to say is that personal success plans, learning plans, whatever paths, journeys, whatever we want to call them, can absolutely replace the current assessment system that we have in place. Ideally, a student would never, ever, ever have to take a test again unless they chose to do that. Um, ideally, if we use this, which we absolutely can do today, we would save billions of dollars in resources that can go directly to students instead of publishing and test-taking companies. Personal success plans are not difficult to create. They are not difficult to measure. It takes the power out of the testing companies and publishing companies and puts it in the hands that they belong, which is with the teachers, students, and families. So there really is no reason not to do that other than the political agendas of um, different people as well as the pocketbooks of testing and publishing companies. But this is absolutely what's best for kids. It really will help them succeed. And um, it's really a movement that I'd like to help start because this is best for kids. It empowers teachers. It empowers family. And we will save billions of dollars that can go to resources to students if we start implementing things like this instead of our standardized tests. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Lisa, for the soapbox. So Kathleen, is, um, do you think that Lisa's being realistic? And uh, uh, are you seeing that the assessments that come out of these, the personalized learning um, displace traditional assessments, or do they have to work alongside them? Well, you know, um, let's take a, a look at, uh, you know, at Finland, who's doing something very similar as Lisa describes. And um, one of the, what's different in uh, Finland is they don't do any standardized testing. Um, they assess in the classroom. Um, and, but the other element that we're not talking about is really the the caliber of teachers in the classroom uh, who do all of this. 
So uh, that's really uh, very important to all of us. But I do think that you do not, I think we could abandon uh, testing, standardized testing, and really stick to some very strong standards and really, you know, um, assess kids um, uh, in formative assessment on a regular basis and really train teachers in those areas uh, instead of kill and drill and, and getting, um, taking kids into testing that kills virtually weeks and weeks of time in the classroom uh, and also in instruction. So um, let's take a let's take a close look at why Finland is so successful in uh, in what they do, um, and why they've gone from a dropout rate of 25 percent to two percent in three decades, um, and with no standardized testing. Okay, so the Finland show is coming up. <laughs> we did have one already um, uh, with uh, the, the guy who made the film. I'm, Finland phenomenon, and uh, I think Posse Solberg is going to come on the show. In fact, he's committed. We just don't have a date yet, but uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with Finland. In the meantime, Barbara, how do personal learning plans relate to uh, portfolios? David Lurcher on the show on Tuesday said that the portfolio is really a critical part of the student's personal learning environment, and because it's student-driven, it should not be an externally mandated portfolio system, but we should be teaching them to use the tools of the web to build their portfolio. How would you s respond to that? And Barbara, I don't know if we lost you, but or maybe your mic's not on again. There you go. I, it, it freezes for a second. I don't know why. Um, I watched. I, I did some work with Reggio Emilia um, schools, uh, which are um, preschools, and they were creating. The students were creating their own portfolio, uh, and they were three and four year olds, and it was amazing. And I was watching the the teachers and the parents were more of a, what they call, um, they call the environment the third educator on, on top of the teachers and the parents, and they're guiding the, the preschooler. Now, if this can happen with three and four-year-olds where they're collecting evidence and then um, the, the parents at that age and the teachers are collecting the evidence and putting it in a portfolio form, this can happen at any grade, in any level. And it's amazing when they drive their learning and they're showing you evidence that they, what they can do and then they reflect on it. So I'm seeing more and more of this and, um, and helping schools design this. And it's just amazing to watch what they can do. So I feel that, yes, portfolios, I, I agree with David Leuscher on this. Um, it's, a, it's more authentic. And um, they can um, use any of the tools that are out there to demonstrate, um, especially even like if they're learning a new language. I mean, anything. It's just amazing. Okay, we're at the moment in the show when we switch the Q and A, but I don't want us to go there until I've asked my my personal big interest question, which is, if we think of teachers as lead learners and we're asking them to do this for their students, who's doing a good job of helping teachers be learners in the same way and building their own learning plans? Is that happening somewhere we can point to and say that this is an important part of the process? Oh, sorry, I didn't indicate who I was asking the question. Barbara, go ahead. 
I didn't know if you wanted me to answer, because this is what I do is write about professional development. Um, I feel that the, the teacher is the most important person in that class and with the, with the students. And the problem is right now they're the hardest working person in the class and they need to let go and they don't know how to do it. So what, um, one of the things that I found that's really important is to work as a coach just like um, uh, Shannon was saying is if you can support them and help them collect their own evidence on how they're becoming a better teacher or guide um, and a co-learner and a co-designer, this, this will happen even faster. It's just right now they're alone in the classroom and they don't know how to do it. So yes, it's very important to help them design their plan or their path, their learning path also. Shannon, did you want to add to that? Say that like what we're doing at Van Meter is this is our second year of having um, PLCs where we have a small you know cohort of teachers that we meet with every week. You know I met with them today at seven o'clock for an hour and a half, and we have um, really added to our professional development. I mean we have added I think that it's up to like maybe eight days of professional development that we have um, added to our schedule, and we're we're the teachers. We're not just sitting there and getting information from our director of teaching and learning or from people who might come in and speak. We are also there to collaborate and we're the, we're the students. We gave them our teachers this year. We showed them the curriculum and gave them a survey on what they knew about digital citizenship. We gave them only up to sixth grade. They don't, they don't know what they don't know sometimes. And so it's our responsibility, I think, to also teach them so they can become better at these things that we want our, our students to do or what we want to be successful with them. Okay, so uh, thank you for that. Uh, we are now going to take the last 10 minutes for Q&A. The chat has gone by very quickly, and I'm afraid I have not caught any questions. So if you ask the question that, uh, that you would like to have answered, please repeat it in the chat or draw my attention to it in some way. You can also raise your hand the, in the participant box you'll see some icons. The third one over is the raise hand icon. You can raise your hand and we'll give you the mic. Um, uh, Yaakov Heck, I think, is going to come on to talk about democratic schooling in Israel. That's my big hope. Um, if anybody has some good connections at uh, big picture schools or big picture learning, um, uh, a couple of interviews have fallen through with them. And Dennis, I think it's, uh, it's Dennis Litke was going to come on the show and then uh, had a conflict. Um, and um, I can't remember the first name, Walk. Uh, he's just written a new book. And I'm very anxious to have somebody on the show. So if anybody has connection for the big picture learning, please reach out to me. I'd love to get them on the show. OK. Um, feel free to raise your hand or to put a note in the chat. And let me see. I'm trying to keep up here. Ronald Walk, that's correct. Okay, so while we're waiting for a question to come in, uh, we've seen some names of schools that, uh, like Big Picture here, and uh, and others that, that that you feel are doing a good job. Reggio Amelia, um, are the expeditionary learning? Are there other places? Um, I think particularly Barbara and Kathleen, where where you would want to point to as really being successful in this regard. 
I'm just going to jump in for one second. This is Lisa. I collected um, a whole bunch of those sort of um, schools. So we've named a couple of them, like Big Picture, Reggio Emilia. There's also Nuestra Escuela um, and models like the school-wide enrichment model. And I'm going to go ahead and put in the chat a link to my collections of the schools that honor um, personalized learning and passion-led learning. Terrific. Okay, we do have a question from the chat. Um, Larry wants to know, what do you do to guarantee high-quality teachers who can handle how we want them to teach? Would anybody like to grab that one? I'll, I'll grab it. Sorry, I just talked, but um, just real quickly, what I love about democratic slash free schools is that students are completely involved in the hiring process. This also happens at some of the great progressive schools like Science Leadership Academy. And I think that if we trust the students and bring them into the process and um, the interview process and help ensure that the teachers are helping students meet their learning goals, that's one of the things that we can do to uh, recruit high quality teachers. And another thing we can do is, and I just uh, read a couple of books on this topic too, but the traditional certification is not always the best teacher for the classroom. If you can get a real doctor to teach a class or you know, a, a people who are actually in the profession and let the kids interview that person and hire them and see how they do, that's another alternative way to get some really great people into the schools. And you can also get people who volunteer, which free slash democratic schools do all the time. That's a couple ideas I have. Go ahead, Barbara. Uh, one of the things that um, that Kathleen and I are writing a book on personalized learning, so we've been doing a lot of research on um, some of the schools. So um, probably we'll be talking to you, Lisa, uh, and probably doing interviewing you also. Um, one of the things that Finland did is that um, when they looked at their model in the 80s, they said they needed to change it because this it was kind of where we are right now, and they needed to move um, to it to really make it a where it was personalized, but what they needed to do is they needed to change the teaching um, that was happening. So what they did is they um, made it so that all of their teachers now have master's programs and they get um, the teaching program is free, but the um, people that apply, they are very particular on who they allow in and into the into the schools, but the schools are they're there for two years, and then they are part of a laboratory, and they are given a mentor. and um, And if they are a K six teacher, that teacher stays with the um, the same children for six years. So there's real looping, and the and the teacher is learning. The teacher is getting support from a mentor. The teacher has a lot of collaborative time. So we have to maybe look at the the way we're teaching our teachers right now, um, and also the type of support they're getting. I've worked with, in schools where they were supposed to have a master teacher, and I saw some new teachers that had never seen a master teacher. So um, we have to value the people that are coming in, but they also have to have the type of training that prepares them well. So this is of great personal interest to me. 
I spent two days at Stanford a couple of weeks ago with many of the sort of the leaders in the in, in the Finnish education system thinking about this, or talking about this, and me thinking about it. And one of the things that Finland was able to do was they were able to come together around a narrative on education, and that narrative was equity. Right, a, a consensus belief that equity in education was really important. We don't have a belief in equity in the United States. The belief in equity in the United States is opportunity. Uh, we have we have a lot of beliefs in competing interests, but we don't have a lot of beliefs around equity. To us, equity would be communism. So my question is, in order to see those changes, Barbara, we have to come around a narrative of agreement. And it seems to me that the narrative of personalization is an area where we could maybe get the kind of consensus that Finland got on equity. Uh, Kathleen, you've raised your hand. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you get to speak with them. I'd love to uh, listen to a piece of Salberg uh, from Finland. And um, one of the things, and I think you're right, one of the things they all agreed on is that every child in Finland, no matter where they lived, would get a certain level of education. And they do promise that, and they do deliver that. And that's really something that we are, you know, that's not even in our language uh, right now. So that's uh, one of the big concerns. It also is around policy. Um, and, you know, we're a much bigger country, far more diverse, and changing policy is very di difficult. But I think that we need to really drive this uh, discussion and this conversation here in this country. Uh, because I think we're really at a crossroads uh, because we have a such a large dropout rate in um, in kids that are highly un unmotivated uh, on the most part, and uh, we really need to change all that, and we're perfectly capable of doing that. Um, so I think that we really need to be advocating very, very strongly uh, on around this conversation and to really set a clear vision and agreement um, around either around personalization and uh, really providing every kid um, here in the United States a level of education um, that every child, no matter where they live, are going to receive, uh, or else there's going to be just lots of inequity uh, going forward. Lisa, go ahead. I just wanted to say um, on that topic that if you can't afford it, you have choice to have personalized learning. You have the choice to go to Reggio Emilia Montessori or democratic school or free school or any of these schools that honor personal, personalized learning or student-led learning. And what I really find disappointing is that our government does not allow those who cannot afford it to be able to attend those type of schools. So my personal goal is to allow everyone to be able to attend the schools that honor personalized learning and personal success and not just have government's mandate that only those who are rich enough can have that sort of system and the rest of the people need to be suppressed by this testing regime. So that's my goal because personalized success plans, personalized learning plans, school-wide enrichment model, and all these wonderful models do exist for people who can afford it and everyone should be able to have that sort of school environment available to them. Okay, we have actually reached the end of our hour. Uh, Gary says, this is the best, most helpful webinar I have ever attended. 
Gary, I agree. This has been a terrific evening. Thanks to Barbara, Kathleen, Shannon, and Lisa for a really engaging conversation. I don't think this is the last time we're going to talk about this. Uh, Barbara and Kathleen, I sure hope that you'll come on the show when your book is done. Um, there's, there's obviously lots more to talk about. Um, if anybody has any final words, I'll let you raise your hand uh, on the panel. And I really appreciate your being here. I'm clapping for you. And, and the clapping now is a little bit hidden, but it's under the smiley face with the applause button. So Lisa, go ahead and say your final say. Uh, and as you do so, we'll let people look at the schedule coming up. And the recording will have the chat included in it. So if you watch the full Illuminate recording, you can um, capture the chat. You can also right now go up to File, uh, Save, and you can save the chat. Did you want to say something else, Lisa? Um, actually, I had accidentally left my hand up, but I do want to say something else since I have the opportunity. I'll take it. And that is that we did start a group on Facebook called the Student Union. And that is a group to really give students a great voice. And I really hope people will go and check that group out, the Student Union, invite their students, because students are also really important in being advocates for their own personal success. So please do join that group and help our students have a voice in advocating for themselves. Thank you so much for having me and for everyone who came today. Thanks, Lisa. Barbara, did you want to say something? Um, very quickly. I. Uh, Kathleen and I started a personalized learning group in LinkedIn. So anyone who has a LinkedIn um, uh, account, please join us. Uh, you can write us and, and join us. And also, we're doing some presentations on personalized learning on, at Q and ISTE. So um, we have those on our site. So I'll put the link in again um, to our website that we created So if people want some more information. So thank you so much, Steve. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Barbara. Really terrific. Kathleen? Thank you very much, Steve. I really look forward to coming back and having another conversation about this after we hear from all those wonderful people in Finland. There's the phone. Uh, anyway, I want to point out that uh, I do a curating topic on personalized learning on Scoop It, if anyone would like to follow. Um, and so lots of good information there. But so go ahead and put links in there. Lisa, I don't think you put in a link for the Facebook group. Um, and uh, Kathleen, if you've got a link there to the Scoop It, that will put, you can, I'll, I'll leave the chat open and you can put that in there as well. Shannon, you're the only one who hasn't given a final word. Thank you so much for being here. Did you want to say anything else? Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. Lots to think about now. <laughs> Thanks for your terrific uh, work in this area. Okay, I'll leave the chat open for a couple of seconds, then we'll turn the recording off. And in order for that recording to process, we do all have to leave the room. So I'm not pushing you out. But when you're ready, go ahead and click on the X at the top right, or go to File and Exit. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Hope you'll join us again.